Once more, welcome to everyone. Welcome to those of you in Perry, Oklahoma, Church on the Square. Uh, we love you so much. We love being a part of you. Open your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17 this morning. John chapter 17. Starting a new sermon series from now leading up into Easter entitled 24 Hours. 24 Hours. Jesus of Nazareth lived approximately 33 years, died when he was about 33 years old. That means he lived roughly 12,000 days, something like that. When the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sat down to write about his life, they, they touched on all of those days, but they really focused on the last three years, approximately 1,100 days. They really zero in on those last 1,100 days. But, but if you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if you really look at what they write, they focus in particular on one day, one single day day, the last day of Jesus' life, the very last 24 hours. Everything comes down to those last 24 hours. Truly, if you want to know anything about a man, you watch him die. Watch the way he dies. And truly, if you want to know anything about Jesus at all, you need to know Jesus and him crucified. You need to watch him die. And that's what we're going to do together for the next few weeks leading up into Easter. We're going to walk very, very slowly through the very last 24 hours of Jesus's life. Uh, John chapter 17 is where we begin this morning. If you knew that you only had 24 hours to live, let that sink in. If you knew that, if you knew you only had 24 hours, what would you do? How would you spend the very last 24 hours that you have on earth? And who would you want to spend those hours with? Some of you are thinking, I'd want to go hang gliding. Some of you are thinking, I'm not going to do my English homework for Monday now. I don't have to do my homework. I don't know what your brain does, how you start to think. But understand, Jesus knows. He knows that these are his last hours. And so everything that happens, everything that he does is very, very deliberate. Very deliberate. Now, the first thing he does as he moves into this last 24 hours is he eats his last meal and he gathers his very best friends together to do that. And you would probably do something like that as well. You would probably want to gather the most important people to you and say some things to them. And that's how these 24 hours begin. Jesus gathers the 12 and he takes them to an upper room, a place where they can be alone, and they share together a Passover meal. A Passover meal. In the course of this meal, though, Jesus does a lot of talking. And if you really want to see the bulk of what Jesus says, you need to look at the Gospel of John. John takes time to record the things Jesus said in the upper room. And so that's where we are this morning. We're in that section of Scripture that that records what Jesus said to his friends, the last thing that he's going to say to them on earth. After he teaches them for, for several chapters, you'll find in Scripture, Jesus prays. He prays. Now, all through Scripture, it says that Jesus prayed. He would go off by himself and pray. We have something that we call the Lord's Prayer, but honestly, that's not really the Lord's Prayer. That's a prayer he gave to us. That's more like the disciples' prayer. But in John chapter 17, you have a very rare moment when we have a prayer of Jesus this is Jesus not teaching us how to pray. This is the heart of Jesus talking to his Father. And you don't get this very often. But John chapter 17 records Jesus praying, talking to his Father. And when you look at this prayer, 
you can really begin to get a sense of what was on Jesus' heart at the beginning of those last 24 hours of his life. This is the heart, the, the burden of Jesus. This is what is heavy upon him right before he dies. John chapter 17. Uh, this is Jesus praying. Listen. <clears throat> After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. <clears throat> For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now stop right there. I don't know if you and I will ever be able to say anything like that. But in these last 24 hours of Jesus' life, he can say, I have done everything I was sent here to do. I have completed every purpose. I have done everything I was born to do. Now that's, that's amazing. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed to you the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Who's, who's he talking about there? Yeah, that's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. 
O righteous Father. The world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. It's the prayer of Jesus. Last Supper. We call it the Last Supper because it was the last supper for Jesus. It was his very, very last meal. It was a special meal. It was the Jewish Passover meal, but it was important, vastly more important than any typical Jewish Passover meal. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was at the table. Jesus, like you or I, probably would do. He, he gathers that night the, the men most important to him. He gathers his, his disciples. It's really interesting when you really stop to think about that because Jesus is in, in the last hours of his life, and these are the most important people in, in his life, I guess you could say. But remember, Jesus is not blind. He, he knows them. He knows their hearts. Jesus knows everything that's going to happen in the next 24 hours, including the fact that every single one of these men is going to abandon him. He knows that. Look back at the verse leading right into this prayer. Verse 32 in chapter 16. Jesus says, you're going to be scattered. Each one of you is going to go your own way. That's what he says right before he prays. Jesus knows these men. He knows their hearts. He knows that they are going to scatter and abandon him. Now think about that. He knows that Peter is going to deny him three times. He knows that. He knows that sitting at this table, he knows that. He is sitting at the table with Judas, the one who's already sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Judas has 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. It's the price he sold Jesus out for. He's sitting there at the table with the coins in his pocket. Can you let that sink in? The one we call Doubting Thomas is going to sit right there at that table and look Jesus in the face. You understand? Doubting Thomas is sitting right there. Jesus knows these guys, and he knows that these are his last hours. I'm telling you, it's the restraint of Jesus here. It's the incredible love of Jesus that you see here that absolutely confounds me. Because if I had this opportunity, if I'm sitting there, and I know Peter's going to deny me by the time the rooster crows... I just don't know if I could sit there and not say something. I might just want to say, hey, Peter, cock-a-doodle-doo. I don't know if I could resist it. Hey, Peter, freaking cock-a-doodle-doo. That's what I would want to say. I don't want to say, Thomas, have I ever mentioned that I don't really believe in you either? I mean, I just, I would love to say that. I like to say, hey, Judas, can I borrow 30 pieces of silver? These men are going to abandon him. They're going to abandon him. And do you know what he says to them this night in these final hours around this table? Do you know what he says to them? He says, I don't just call you my servants anymore. I call you friends. I call you friends. He knows them. He knows exactly what they're like. He knows 
that they're going to betray him, every one of them. And yet he says, I call you friends. What does that say about Jesus? You've got to understand, Jesus is the only completely selfless man that's ever walked this earth. He's completely selfless. You understand what I'm saying? He, he doesn't think of self. He has come into the world to lay his self down. And he does not consider himself. On this night of all nights, Jesus' burden is not for himself. He's already surrendered himself. That's settled. You understand? You can't hurt Jesus' feelings. Because he's not in it for himself like that. You can't make Jesus mad so that he can't forgive you. Do you understand? Jesus has forgiven these men already in advance. He knows what they will do. He knows what they will say. And yet there's nothing they can do. There's not a thing that they can do that would make him love them any less. Understand? Not a thing that they can do that would make him love them less. I call you my friends, Jesus says. He knows them. He knows them. And he loves them. While we're on it, let me just say, he knows you too. He knows you. He knows your doubts. He knows the way that you go through life denying that you know him too. He knows you too. And you need to just understand, there's not a thing you can do to make him love you any less. Loves you. And the amazing thing is that on this last night of Jesus' life, these final 24 hours, the burden on his heart is not himself. He is not concerned. At this moment, it is not his suffering. It's not the fact that everybody is going to betray him, that he will stand there alone and naked before the world. That is not his burden. His great burden is for others. His great burden is for these 12 men sitting right in that room and beyond, the, the others that will come to believe after these 12. His concern is for us, understand? His followers, all of his followers, that's what Jesus, Jesus has on his heart. This is his great burden. And in regard to us, in regard to these disciples, his great burden really has two points to it. Really, there are two things that Jesus is praying to the Father about, about his disciples, these 12, and all those who will follow them. Notice the first. Notice what Jesus says. I'm coming to you, verse 13. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Underline that. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them, say the word, holy. Make them holy by your truth. What does the word holy mean? It means set apart. It's very difficult for us because we often use the word holy as, a, as an insult to people who think they're better than everybody else. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's using the word holy in its biblical sense, in its truest sense. Holy is a word that really only applies to God. Only God is holy. Only God is morally perfect. Only God can be described with that word holy. God is holy. It is essentially what God is. He's holy. Holy. 
So when you apply that word to us, the only way that that could actually work is if we are somehow touched by his holiness, as if he reaches down and sets us apart by his holiness, for his holiness. The word holy means set apart, set apart for a purpose. So notice Jesus' burden for his disciples in this last hour, his burden is that they would continue to be separate from the world. Separate from the world. The world hates Jesus. He knows that. And because the world hated Jesus, the world is going to hate everybody who takes his name. Everybody who takes on his character. If you walk as Jesus walked in this world, the world is not going to be your home. The world is not going to be your friend. Do you understand? And Jesus' burden is that his disciples and all those after them would continue to live separately from the world. That they would be holy, set apart for God. Holy. So understand, his concern was that you and I would live lives differently, separately from the world. That doesn't mean we're not going to be in the world. He says that. Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. That's not our goal. We don't live separate outside the world, but we have to live differently inside the world. In the world, but not of it, as the old preachers used to say. It's it's holiness set apart for God's own purposes. This is what's on Jesus' heart. You understand that? Your holiness, my holiness, our separation from the world. Do you understand Now, what's this worth to Jesus? Notice what he says in verse 19. I give myself, I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy. I give myself as a holy sacrifice so that they can be made holy. So what is your holiness worth to Jesus? His life, his blood, everything. Let me ask you this. What's your holiness worth to you? What's it worth to you? The old saying goes that that anything is worth what somebody will pay for it. There's this kind of redneck guy that went to college. Now, y'all probably know guys like this guy. He drove a pickup truck to college. The pickup truck had like Mountain Dew bottles, but they didn't have Mountain Dew in them. They had like spit. You know what I'm talking about? This guy, they called him Rooster. He always had Copenhagen in his lip. He spit in the Mountain Dew bottle all the time. Those bottles were in his truck. It was just nasty, just nasty. He was just plainer than cornbread, good guy, good-hearted guy, just always raised in the country, went to college. He had a meteorology class, which, which he really didn't like much. He sat in the back, but all of a sudden, one day he looked up, and there was this most beautiful creature God ever made. This girl was so beautiful. Understand, she's way out of his league, way out of his league. She looked like one of those girls on Dancing with the Stars. Understand? He looked like one of those guys off a of Turtle Man. <laughs> way out of his league. But I'm telling you, he just became fascinated with this beautiful, beautiful girl. So pretty. Obviously, it looked like she had money. Rooster never had any kind of money. He just didn't. But, man, he just really, he just got to where he would, he would kind of figure it out how he could walk out of class and just bump into her. And one day he started talking to her. And then day after day, he would always get to talk to her after meteorology class. Thing is, one day she said, 
do you like sushi? The rooster doesn't know what sushi is. You understand? You don't have that where rooster's from. But he said, yes. Yeah, I love sushi. I, I've been eating a lot of sushi. Yeah. Because if she likes it, he's understand, he's going to like it. He's in love with this girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've eaten a lot of sushi. She said, you know, there's a new sushi restaurant downtown. I'd really like to go, but I don't want to go by myself. Okay, what is that? Guys, what is that? That's an open door. It's an open door. He says, well, why don't we go together? I'll come get you tonight at 7.30. We'll go to the, to the new sushi restaurant downtown. He didn't know what sushi was. He didn't know. So that afternoon, he took all the Mountain Dew bottles out of his truck. Man, he cleaned his truck up. He went by, picked up the girl. She came out. She was beautiful. He had on his very best Carhartt jacket. They walked into the sushi restaurant downtown. First sign that it wasn't going to go well, the menu didn't have any numbers on it, no prices. No prices. Now, Rooster at that point was living on about $30 a week for food. Understand that. There were no prices. The sweet young thing, she ordered the combination platter, which meant one of everything. Okay? Rooster just looked down. He pointed at some Japanese word and just ordered that, you know, and they brought it to him. You, you know what it was? You know, it was, it was raw fish in a, in a cold lump of sticky rice. And you know what it cost at the end of the meal? $150. You know what Rooster said? Of course you do. Ain't no woman in the world worth that. Ain't no woman in the world worth $150 and having to eat a lump of raw fish and sticky cold rice. Ain't no woman in the world worth that. You understand? A thing is worth what you're willing to pay. And your holiness for Jesus was worth everything. He gave his life. He gave his life that you might be made holy, that you might be transformed after his likeness. He gave his life. He gave his blood that you might be made separate from the world. It was worth everything to him. I'm asking you, what is it worth to you? I'm asking you this but because honestly, I'm not your judge, and I don't know that much about any of you, but I can tell you one thing. Some of us are very, very indistinguishable from the world. We look like the world. We act like the world. We think just like everybody else. We are indistinguishable from all of our neighbors. If people didn't somehow know that you come to church on a Sunday morning, they wouldn't even think that you knew anything about Christ. Do you understand? There's no difference. There's no separation. There's no holiness evident in your life and my life sometimes. What's your holiness worth to you? It was worth everything to Jesus. He wanted to transform you. He wanted to make you into a new creation. He wanted you to have his mind, the mind of Christ. He wanted you to have that heart of stone taken out of your chest and, and give you a heart of flesh. He wanted to make you like himself. He, he died for that. So, so what's your holiness worth to you? Jesus said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm just asking you to protect them from the evil one. And set them apart. I'm not going to take them out of the world. I'm going to send them into the world. You understand? He sends us into the world. 
and into the world, you understand the world's not supposed to rub off on us. We're not supposed to become like everybody else. Instead, we're supposed to go into the world and we're supposed to rub off on them. You understand? We're supposed to rub off on them. We have the mind of Christ. We have God's holiness at work in us. We should be rubbing off on them. We should be going out not to be changed by the world, but to change the world. Jesus died for that. And in this prayer, this moment when you get to hear what's on Jesus' heart, the burden on his heart as he talks to his father, Hours before he dies, his great burden was your holiness. Your holiness. His great burden was that you would live such a life that in the world you'd be different, set apart, holy. What's your holiness worth to you? It cost Jesus his life. But that's not all. That's not the only Thing on his great heart. That's not his only burden. I'm praying, verse 20, not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Father, make them one. Make them one. That night up in that room with his disciples, that, that night in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, he said these words. He said, I I'm giving you a new commandment. Remember that? In the upper room. One of the last things that Jesus would say to these men, he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. And what was that new commandment? Love one another. Now what's new about that? There's nothing new about that. That's everywhere. That's in the Old Testament. The Old Testament says that you should love. You understand? Jesus said, talking to, to, to a man who asked him a question one day, he said that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus has already given that commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus has already said that we're supposed to love. But, but on this night, on this night of all nights, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another. What's new about that? By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Now that's new. But what's the new part? Before Jesus said, love your neighbors as you love yourself. Love as you love yourself. But on this night, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. You should love one another as I have loved you. Understand? There's a new standard here. The new part isn't so much the commandment to love. It's the standard of love. It's the model of love. Jesus doesn't just say love people like you love yourself. Because honestly, I'm looking at you all. You're not all taking all that good care of yourself. I don't know how much you love yourselves. I don't know if you're a very good standard of what love should be. If you're supposed to love people like you love yourself, I'm not sure some of you are even friends with yourself. Jesus says the commandment I give you is that you're going to love one another as I have loved you. Now that's different. That's new. That's a standard. 
because Jesus' love is perfect. I'm giving you this commandment that you should love one another as I have loved you. He lays his life down. Do you understand? He's the one who forgives everything. He's the one who has a pure heart, a clean heart in regards to every person. It's perfect love. Love one another as I have loved you. This is how everyone is going to know that you're my disciples. Love. This is how the world is going to believe the message. Your love. Understand? The burden on Jesus' heart the night before he died was the quality of love in the church. So what is the quality of love in, in this church? I guess it depends on what pew you're sitting on, huh? Some of you are angry people. You're just angry. You're angry everywhere you go. You're angry at home. You're angry at work. You're angry at church, too. You understand? Some of you hold grudges. Some of you are mad about stuff that happened in seventh grade, and you are retired now. Understand? you got grandchildren. You're still mad. There are still people, if, if their face comes up in your mind, you just want to spit angry. You hold grudges like a mule, like an elephant. You don't forgive. You don't forgive nothing. Some of you get so upset over things that are just so small. Do you understand? You come in church and somebody's sitting in your seat and you freak out. You're mad. You're mad. Like you bought the pew. My goodness. Jesus that night sat around the table with the man who had in his pocket 30 pieces of silver he sold him out for, sitting there with the coins jangling in his pocket. And Jesus says, I'm calling you friend. Jesus looking Peter right there in the face. Peter, who before the rooster crows the next morning is going to deny him three times, once with curses and feelings. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, I call you friend. Thomas, who later is not even going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, not even going to believe. Jesus looks at Thomas and says, I believe in you. I call you friend. I call you friend. Do you understand? He forgives it all in advance. He's already decided to love. Do you understand? He's already willed to love. And so none of this is in question anymore. It doesn't matter what they do to him. It's not going to change his heart toward them. There is love in him. Do you understand? He is love. And if you know him, if he is in you, then his love will be in you, and you will forgive, and you will let things go, and you will not walk around all of the time with that anger simmering. Do you understand? That anger can't live in your heart with the Holy Spirit. Something's profoundly wrong, profoundly wrong. If we look inside your heart, and there's not the love of Jesus there, Something profoundly wrong with this church. 
if we're angry and bitter and always ready for a fight. Something profoundly wrong. If you drop out of church because somebody hurts your feelings, what are you, five years old? Is Christ in you? Do you have his love in you? This was his dying burden. I want you to love each other. I just want you to love each other. This is how everybody will know that you belong to me. They'll see my love coming out of every pore of you. Jesus says, let them love as I have loved. Let them be one, Father, just as you and I are one. Now think deep with me for a moment. You, you probably know, surely you've heard by now, that, that one of the fundamental facts of the Christian faith is that God is three in one. We call that the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. God is one God, three persons. It blows your mind, I know. He's one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. From all eternity, God is three and God is one. He's three, and he's one. How? How does it even work? That's horrible mathematics, but it's excellent theology. God is three, God is one. How does that work? Well, I don't know. I can't explain God to you, but I can say this, that God is love. It's what the scripture says. God is love. Which is to say that at the very heart of God, there is love. And love can't be isolated. Love needs another to give itself to. So at the very heart of God, you have these three persons. Three persons absolutely made one in their love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, unified by their love for one another. It's perfect love. It's perfect unity. Three persons in one God. It's perfect love. Jesus says, in the same way that I am in you, Father, and you are in me, in the same way that we are one, I want them to be one. You understand? My love for all of you and your love for me and our love for each other is to be so perfect that we're like one body, that we'd be like one person. That means if you hurt, I hurt. It means if you rejoice, I rejoice. I feel with you. I, I live with you. I, I love you. Jesus says that when the church, when, when his people, his followers, love each other like that, that's what's going to win the world. That's going to win the world over to the gospel. You understand? If we loved each other, if we love like Jesus loves, we might win the world and never, ever open our mouths. That's the power of love. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love.
Do you know God? I'm not being flip. I'm not being smart. It's an honest question. Do you know God? Because if you know him, if you know him truly, his love will be in you. And that love will flow out toward every single person. I'm amazed that just hours before Jesus dies, hours before everyone on earth will abandon him, he takes a moment and prays to his father And the burden on his heart is that we would love each other. His dying burden was that we would love each other. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I just lift our church up to you. Lord, we get along pretty well, actually. There's a lot of love here. There really are people in this room, Lord, who would give you the shirt off their back. There are people in this room who would give you a kidney out of their body, Lord. There are people in this room who would do anything for anybody, Lord. Bless them. Thank you, Lord, for the love that we see in in lives in this church. But, But, Lord, it's not all of us. And none of us is perfect in it. God, your love is perfect. You said we're supposed to love like you love. And all of us fall short if we're going to measure our love but by your great and perfect love, Lord. We just don't forgive each other that well. We don't get over things very quickly, Lord. We, we do hold grudges. Lord, we do get so mad, so hurt, so frustrated that we could just walk out of here and never come back, Lord. We've all felt that. Jesus, your your dying wish is that we just love each other, that we'd be so united in love, so, so perfect in love, that the world, the world would know that there's something supernatural going on in this place. God, that's what we want, a supernatural love. A love that doesn't come from us. A kind of forgiveness, Lord, that's impossible in our hearts. Lord, a a kind of robust friendship, Lord. A a kind of discipline. A kind of dedication. A commitment to one another, Lord, that comes from our commitment to you. Oh, Christ, let us be one with you so that we can be one with one another. Oh, Lord God, we have sinned against you. Some of us have sinned against the fellowship of this church. Lord Jesus, you died so that we might not be like the world, so that we might have a love that comes only from the Lord, from you, O God. Help us to have that love in us and help all of those around us everywhere, but especially inside this church. Help everyone to know that we're your disciples because we love like you. Help us, Lord to love like you love. We pray these things in your perfect name. Amen.